Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Billy over here at Eastern Current. Uh, super excited about tonight's episode. We got um, Justin Carter on from Red Redfin Charters down in South Carolina. Going to be talking about trout fishing, some maybe even kayak fishing, man. Big kayak fisherman. So excited about that. Um, I'm not running solo tonight. Judd did call me earlier today. He got, man, some kind of shaky, shaky, whatever you call it. You get cold, a fever, you get the shakes, the quakes, and can't get out of bed. So I got my very good friend on here, Zach Kirby. What's up, Zach? Hey, Billy. Happy to be here. Uh, sorry to hear about Judson, but hopefully I can... Uh help out yeah man well i appreciate it dude i got i got kind of nervous there because i want to do a good job for for justin and redfin charters and um i don't know what the heck is going on with my phone up there i just got a little notification i'm gonna have to go up there and fix that <laughs> in just a second but um so anyway man super excited to have you on zach zach is a fisherman here in wilmington north carolina uh i made the mistake of calling him the weekend warrior um earlier and he's like hey dude i got on what do you work Three tens, four tens, four tens. Yeah, so he's middle of the so week. I'm fishing. He's fishing during the middle of the week, which is the best time <laughs> around here. Um, so let's see. We, we got some people jumping on. Uh, we got uh, Scout Brock there. What's up, man? Nick, thanks for jumping on, guys. Jeremiah, thanks for jumping on. Uh, he said, "Hey, Justin, tuned in already and ready to hear your tips." So we got Justin on standby. He's on Skype, coming coming from South Carolina. So we're really excited about that. But before we jump into it, we want to remind you just to like and share this broadcast with all your family, friends, enemies, whoever. Uh, just make sure you share it, help us out there, and check out the podcast afterward. We typically try to download that or upload that rather uh, the night of, and that way you can listen to it on your way to work tomorrow. Um, or school or wherever you're doing. So super excited about the show, and I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and get into these sponsorships. I'm going to be talking a lot. This is Zach's first time, so I don't want to put too much pressure on him. Oh, but I, can, I can talk. That's I my appreciate problem. it, though. I really appreciate you being on and, and helping us out. So I'm going to talk about sponsorships real quick, and then we're going to jump into uh, talking about Zach and his kayak and what he's been catching recently. <laughs> so this show is brought to you by... <laughs> <laughs> I had to do that voice. Uh, I strike fishing. So super uh, like those guys, man. They actually introduced us to Justin. So we're really excited. Uh, appreciate Dave and Ralph over at I strike. Go check their uh, store out up to 40% discount when you order for bulk and then uh, use the code Eastern current 10 all caps and get an additional 10% off. Cito, make sure you don't get stuck. Call Scott. You know Cito Scott, don't you? Oh yeah. I know Scott. Oh yeah. Scott's Sc a great guy. Has he ever come and told you out with your kayak? You not, not yet. I know you get his number on speed dial. So, uh, AFCO, you'll see Zach and I wearing matching hats almost. It's one Was shade. Not planned. One shade different. Great minds think alike. Uh, so, check out their gear. Eastern Angling, which is Judson Brock, the co host of this show, Eastern Current. And unfortunately, he has the crud. So, he can't make it tonight, but he's going to be getting feeling better. Hopefully, we go fishing with him on Thursday. Uh, so, check him out. Go book a trip with him. Um, just not on Thursday because that's when I'm going. And then, Marshware, another great great outdoor gear place for your apparel needs thorpe creative we make custom hat shirts all that stuff smoothie king would show you my smoothie but i already chugged it oh, i still got a little bit <laughs> but it won't last long ct custom lures is a good friend of ours and makes flies go check out his instagram and last but not least kbt realty uh, which is the new real estate company i'm a part of real estate team so if you need to buy share I mean, buy your share, <laughs> buy your share of house. <laughs> if you want to share a house with your friends, I'll sure sell you guys one. No big <laughs> deal. Uh, but buy, sell, or invest in real estate. I'm your guy, man. Um, been been knocking it out, dude. Actually got a house under contract this week, so super Someone, excited. Someone's getting that trip. Someone's getting that trip, man. Someone's getting that trip. 
We'll have to work that out. I think that trip is still in the air because, well, we'll see. We'll see if the person that I bought, you know, that bought the house qualifies. Qualifies. So anyway, dude, tell me a little bit about. I know you've been doing a lot of kayak fishing. Your girlfriend bought you. It's a girlfriend or fiance. Fian- uh, girlfriend. Sorry. Girlfriend. Wow. She, uh, if she's watching right uh, now, I gotta watch out. Oh my gosh. I just tra- um, dude, I yeah, just trapped so you into that. She she knows that you know college was not like the best time for me. Um, I definitely worked for quite a few years before I went back to school, and uh, it was different. So when I finally graduated and I got that job, and it was like you know things were looking up, she got me a uh, Hobie compass. So I've been absolutely <laughs> enjoying that. And a little too much. She's probably regretting that because it's like, yeah. you know. Well, what have you been chasing out there, though? Well, uh, I like to take go offshore a lot, near shore stuff. Um, jigging on near shore wrecks, the Marriott Reef off CB. Um, a lot of jetty fishing um, when it's windy um, in either the river or the uh, ICW, usually around uh, Carolina Beach area up to Wilmington. Um, this weekend, most recent trip, um, I was trying to catch some albacore on the uh, kayak, and it was like absolutely <laughs> insane. So I was, I was chasing these schools, and then all of a sudden they would just absolutely blow up around me. Like it looked like I was in boiling water, fish <laughs> jumping everywhere. I had Did you get them? Did you hook them? Never caught one. Dude, Never I, I'm not going to make fun of you. I was with Judd just a few weeks ago, and we were fly fishing man i can't tell you how many shots i took of those jokers i could not i couldn't retrieve fast enough which i'm going to try to redeem myself on thursday if he's feeling better so if you guys are watching whatever you do if you pray send good vibes hope or whatever way you send somebody some good mojo to get better make sure you send it his way because i want to go crush those albacore yeah my problem was i was going big i had the big yozuri out the back live blue fish i was like there's gonna be some kings in this water it's 74 degrees like all these boats are out here trolling i was like i'm gonna troll with them nope (laughs) i'm gonna troll with the boat (laughs) (laughs) oh that's awesome man well dude i'm glad you're on the show with us man thank you for for bringing some great questions and great conversation we've already been talking to justin a little bit before the show so i'm super excited Anything else before we get started? I don't guess we should wait. We should just bring him on. Yeah. All right, man. Here we go. Let me bring on Justin. What's going on, man? You're on. You're live. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me tonight. I really appreciate it and excited to get this conversation started. Yeah, man. Well, we appreciate you being on the show. Um, uh, Dave, actually, Dave Flad, you know, said, hey, if there's one guy you need on the show to talk about fishing um, of any kind, but in particular trout fishing, Make sure you have Justin on. He's the he's the man with the plan. He knows what he's doing. So really appreciate you coming on. Um, and for everybody watching, Justin is um, a part of Redfin Charters, so you can look that up. Let me bring his his video up here. He's at Redfin underscore Charters dot com. So dude, let's go ahead and jump right in, man. Tell us how you got into the world of fishing. I mean, kind of like everybody else, or a lot of other people. I shouldn't say everybody else, but like a lot of people, it started very young. Um, you know, pond fishing, catching brim, whatnot. Um, but it quickly turned, I guess it was probably third grade. I went to the Bassmasters Classic in North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, I believe. Uh, no, I can't. I'm not even going to try to recall who won that one. I want to say it was Fritz, but that wasn't right. He didn't win North Carolina. Anyways, doesn't matter. I uh, really enjoyed it. Found, you know, saw the the fanfare and that everything that fishing had to offer, and it really kind of opened my eyes up. And at that point, started reading. And then the next thing you know, you couldn't pull me away from the lakes near the house, or you know, I'd be gone before 
you know, gone in the morning when the sun came up and my mom would be driving around the lake trying to find me because I hadn't come <laughs> home yet and the sun was setting, um, you know, before cell phones and really, really got hooked. And then, uh, you know, grew up coming out to the beach and spending extended periods of time out here, saltwater fishing with my family, uh, you know, kind of like everybody else started surf fishing, um, you know, pier fishing, uh, going out on charters and then, uh, it kind of evolved from there. Um, I moved to Charleston back in 2002. Uh, so I've been here now almost 17 years and I had no intention. I had every intention of going to school. I had no intention of choosing a school for a degree. It simply was called the Charleston or bust because it was at the beach. I wanted to live on vacation, I wanted to fish and wasn't sure I was going to do it for a career, but certainly wanted to be in that environment and live that lifestyle and, one thing led to another, kayak fishing, um, you know, then tournament fishing, then kayak chartering. Um, and then, you know, even before that, I'd worked on head boats as a mate and done some other odds and jobs in the water. And then it came a point in my life where, you know, I realized the kayak charter business, at least for what I wanted it to be, wasn't going to pay my bills full time and was doing two jobs. And even though as much as I loved it, if I wanted to make a transition, uh, wanted to make a living doing this, I was going to have to make a transition. And if I didn't, I was going to have to, you know, make a career out of something else. And ultimately it got to a point where luckily uh, I met the right people and was given a couple of opportunities and kind of succeeded, very luckily succeeded and uh, been able to do what I love for a living and share my passion with people and share that passion and hopefully you know, create that next fisherman, create that next, give them that love that I have for the sport and pass it on to somebody else. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Long hours, but it's a wonderful job. Yeah, man, that, that's awesome, dude. Long hours on the water and, and hanging with people. And, 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 you know, a lot of times people, I hear a lot of young guys like, oh, I want to be a charter boat captain. That's so easy. That's so, but then I get out there and I'm, I'm, I'm on the boat with some captains and, and I'm like, dude, this is like, this is work, man. This is work. But to hear the reason why that you're doing it, I think is awesome uh, to create, you know, like you said, inspire that next person or create that, you know, love of fishing in the, in the person. And so, a lot of stuff that we love to do here at Eastern Current uh, is do that same thing, man. We're just creating this, you know, to to inspire the next person. Um, so, dude, what, now tell me, where did you grow up again? Where, I didn't, I don't know if I caught that there. I didn't. I uh, grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, okay, right in Greenville. Gotcha. Yeah, I uh, went to Malden High School. Um, not obviously not near. I grew up bass fishing. Uh, if you, little bit about myself, uh, I brought my bass fishing habits down to saltwater and. Anybody that's ever fished with me or knows me, I am a rod snob. I don't leave, like, I, like if I go on somebody else's boat, I'm like, how many rods can I bring? No, seriously, how many? Like six, seven, eight. Um, I'm a big believer in every rod has a purpose. And every rod, you know, every technique needs a different rod. St. Croix loves me for it, certainly. Um, <laughs> I'm a, I, I own quite a few, but I really, really am a big believer in having the proper tools to present the tactic or lure correctly makes a huge difference um, in my success, whether it's, you know, throwing finesse, whether it's throwing jerk baits, whether it's throwing hard suspending baits or top water or jigging, it doesn't matter that, you know, there is a rod for that action that really does it better than the other rod will give you a better feel, gives you the right tip or the right backbone um, you know, the, the right bend in the rod, it, it's, 
<laughs> I, I'm trying not to go too far down that rabbit hole just yet. Oh yeah, no, yeah, man, we'll we'll definitely get into it. And so I want and Zach, anytime that you we're, oh, yeah, we're, no, we're sitting I beside understand. each other, so anytime you have a question, just give me the old punch I was to the gut. Say, there. I understand completely. Um, you got to have confidence in your equipment. Just that little difference in the action of a rod throwing the right lure is going to make all the world. Even if it's only in your head, you know, it's going to make you more confident. You're going to, you know, have a better feeling towards what you're doing. Um, you know, totally get it. Sweet. You know, well, Zach, being a being a kayak fisherman, I think you'll appreciate this. Uh, do you know who Kevin Nakata is? I do not. So he's one of the one of the guys with Hobie over okay. out of California. Um, you know, he's been the team manager for years now. Um, after uh, Morgan's, you know, stepped out of that position and moved up. But anyways, he whether he, whether it's the truth or not, he's led me to believe it is. Uh, the reason the H crate has so many rod holder positions on it is, uh, is my fault. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. That's so so you were a Hobie pro, right? I, I believe mine will hold four, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. Mine will hold 13. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I have a friend who's like primarily only like Gulfstream offshore fishing and you know, they're running a lot of the multiples of the same rods, same setups. And he always laughs. He's like, your collection of rods looks like a yard sale, you know, like you got one of everything. You don't have, you know, multiples. So I've been described as a shrimp trawler. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, dude, let's jump into trout fishing. I mean, that's what we, you know, this oh, is yeah. our fourth. <laughs> oh yeah. We're not talking about uh, kayak fishing crap. What am I doing here? <laughs> when when I've been back on to talk about some kayak fishing, I can see it in his eyes just lighting up. So dude, let's talk. I'll bring about it back for you, bud. <laughs> Yeah, dude, and, and dude, talking about kayak fishing as much as you want, as long as it has a trout attached to it, okay? That's the <laughs> that's the agreement for tonight. <laughs> All right. Um, so, dude, let's talk about when you go out there on the water, and and I, and you said you alluded to something earlier before we started the show about a tactic that you use using a kayak. Um, I didn't really dive into it, but is that are you using a kayak to kind of hone in on spots and, and figure that out before taking clients on? So a boat? I guess I think what you're getting at is maybe the development of myself as an angler. Yeah. That, um, OK, that's what you said. I, obviously, I'm a big promoter of Hobie kayaks. I love them no matter no matter how you shake it down. I've tried a bunch of kayaks when I first started, when I first thought I wanted to get one. And. I may have not made the right choice right away as far as the model of kayak, but I got into a Hobie adventure. And once I realized I could pedal and not have to hold that paddle in my lap and I could move around constantly being able to work a rod to fish, that was it for me. I was sold. I mean, your legs are the strongest muscle group in your body. You know, it doesn't put the torsion on your back. You're not walking back and forth, you know, the shoulders, the, the, the traps, you know, all of those muscles, the, the pedal motion, you're able to cover more water, longer, with less fatigue, less strain, and I'm able to keep that rod in my hand, you know, whether I'm moving, whether I'm pedaling into the current to hold myself into place, I'm able to constantly fish, whereas with a paddle, you know, if you look at tournament history for kayak tournaments, if you look at especially, and that's changed a little bit as companies have come along and created their own pedal drive systems, um, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of good companies out there now that have different options, but before that point, if you look at tournaments where you had inclement weather, where you had windy conditions and look at the top 10 in each one of those tournaments, it's almost 80% where they were in Hobies because we had a distinct advantage of being able to fish and keep our bait in the water longer. And one of the best ways to get bit 
keep your bait in the water. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you, it sounds like you've really used that to, to hone, like you said, hone your craft, hone your skill. Um, Um, I got a little sidetracked there, but yeah, when you're talking moving or covering water in a kayak, despite the fact I'm able to maybe cover more water in the Hobie, I still don't have the ability to run long distances, cover ground quickly. Um, you know, not going 20 miles an hour, you know, four or five miles an hour, you know, you're, you're getting up there humping at maybe six. Um, so you're really forced to slow down. You're forced to really learn the areas that you can fish, whatever launch ditch, wherever you put in at lake, whatever it is, you know, I'm, I'm not covering water. I'm not going to run and gun to the next, Oh, this is the spot. This is a good spot to fish right now. You have to find it close by. So by being forced to find it close by, you really learn. I, I was really able to learn the water, learn fish behavior a little bit better, really forced me to dissect areas, dissect patterns and hone in on where the fish sit, why they sit there. And also really, you know, you're not disturbing the environment like you are in a boat. I'm able to get much closer to fish able to sit in areas that I couldn't have put a boat, let fish act naturally or they, they don't hear a trolling motor or, or a push pole slap in the water or push a slap in the water. It should never happen that way. But, you know, pushing through the water or the hull slap or the power poles going down or throwing an anchor, all of those things are going to create disturbances, create pressure waves, disturb the area, disturb the fish. But by being in a kayak, I was right up in there with them. You know, it's like being a bow hunter in the woods. You know, you can shoot a deer, across the field at 250 yards with a rifle. But it takes some real skill to get in there with a bow and take that 25-yard shot to get that close to the animal, to watch them, to wait. You know, it's that kind of, that kind of, uh, what's, how am I looking to word this? I really can't. It's, you're just really forced to be, to slow down and be a part of everything. And it, it really helped me. You know, when I'm on the boat now, I don't have to run and gun everywhere to the next spot. That doesn't mean I don't have tough days, but that you don't have to do it. You have to really, by slowing down, you can pick an area out, pick out those big trout, or if an area that holds big trout, really work it methodically. And it's taught me patience, which is something historically I didn't have. Yeah, I think that's great. That experience you get from, you know, taking it slow and really learning where you're fishing. Um, a lot of guys, especially guys that, you know, have boats that aren't, you know, as experienced fishermen, you know, they're hitting spot, 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 casting a few times and they're leaving and those fish might be there, uh, you know, and, uh, especially, um, bigger trout. Um, you know, I'll ask questions about it cause I'm not an expert at, by any means, but the bigger trout, you know, they're more, you know, you're not going to find big schools of them. You know, they're predators. They're top predators for the, their areas pretty much. And uh, working it slow, I think, you know, if you could, you know, talk about that and shed some light on your experience with that, you know, like how. So understanding what big trout, you know, wherever you are, and it's different for everybody because they relate to different kinds of structure and have different kinds of environment, whether it's grass beds, whether it's drop-offs, whether it's rocks, whatever it is, you got to figure out first off, why are they there and what are they feeding on and when are they going to feed on it? It's a mystery. It's not an exact science. We try to make it an exact science. Um, you know, Dave has been helping log, you know, barometric pressure or certain not help. He's been taking the information I give him and logging it. Um, I haven't been really, I haven't done that part of it, but trying to create a 
trying to find consistencies in the bite, whether it's wind direction, whether it's wind change, whether it's pressure change, you know, whether it's temperature, what, what factors drive a bite. Um, but ultimately when it comes down to it, it's trusting that you're in the right areas. And once you've just, once you've trust yourself that you're in the right area, that you're in a big trout area, it's time to slow down. In my opinion, it, it's not time to rip through and get that reaction bite. You know, it's, I may work an area a hundred yards long and may go through it three or four times and work three, four, five different baits and different presentations or different colors or sizes and really trying to find what they're keying in on during that, during that feeding period or getting them to feed when they don't want to feed or aren't really actively feeding. Oh man, that's a, that's a pretty good strategy. You know, a lot of times, um, you know, I think that's cool. What you learned about kayak fishing was like, Hey, slow down, pace yourself. Uh, it taught you a lot of patience because, uh, I, you know, I'll just share one little story. My father-in-law and I, he's in town this week. And so we went on Sunday night to, you know, on the full moon to go fish, um, right up on the uh, north end of Wrightsville Beach area. And so we were out there pretty late and we were, man, we, we fished every single lure, bass lure, trout lure. You couldn't even, whatever we had in our tackle box, we were throwing every single thing out there. And, you know, a lot like you, we weren't fishing, you know, we weren't covering a lot of ground. We were on foot. So we were just like kind of fanning out. I mean, almost right beside of each other, just like fishing this whole area. And then, you know, finally landed one, um, I wish we could have said we landed 50, but we just landed at one. And I'm like, holy cow, man, this is crazy. But but if, if you're a big trout fisherman, it's all about that one. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely. Could throw all day long for that one fish. That, that's what, I mean, I tell my clients all the time, you know, when it comes to big trout, what do you do on your day off? Um, you know, whether it's, and it, most of the time on my days off, it's going to be when I'm trout fishing, it's going to be right now through the winter, as long as it stays warm enough. And then it's going to be from maybe mid-March through mid-May. Um, that's our big trout, best big trout bites. Do we catch them other times? Yes. Um, but when is your best chance at them? It's now through, I'd say, Christmas. Uh, typically after New Year's, it slows off. But it, it's catching that one fish. I will throw all day for a chance at one slob. It's just a different fish once it reaches, you know, 22, 23 inches. It's not the saw. It's still a fragile fish. You still need to handle it with care. You still need to respect it. And, you know, I'm going to promote it. You know, I, I, I would like to see some, some conservation changes. I'd like to see some law changes, you know, where we release trout over 20 or do a one, like Florida does a one over 20 rule. Um, but these are our breeding stock. These are, these are our big females. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it before, you know, we had a big trout kill a few years ago, a lot like North Carolina did. And when you're talking about these big females, you know, a 14 inch trout will produce, if I'm not mistaken, and don't quote me directly, but I'm, I'm close about five and a half to 6 million eggs on a fork, you know, throughout the spawning season. And that sounds like a lot, but a 20 inch trout produces 18 and a half. Mm. Oh. And that number continues to go up. And not only are we passing along a quantity, but you're passing along potentially better genetics and potentially putting better genetics into the population to in turn produce an overall population of larger fish. And I think that's important for people to realize that, you know, just because you catch a trophy fish, you don't have to eat it. There's plenty of great tasting 16, 17, 18 inch trout. And yeah, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you get lucky and you catch a 21, 22 inch male. He's doing the same job as a 14 for the most part. So keep him. Don't keep the big girls. Let the big girls swim. 
Yeah, just take a picture and let them go and brag to all your buddies. That's why. <laughs> that's what I would be doing. So, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about the location. Like, what are you, you know, looking for? And I think, you know, I think your kayak experience. I just keep. I hate to keep just, you know, hitting this, but I think it really, uh, from what I understand, is is helped you learn those types of spots. So, when you were really kayak fishing a lot, and maybe you still do kayak fish on your time off, um, off the boat. But what what kind of lo- you know, like what kind of areas you're looking for? What kind of bottoms? are you looking for like can you fill us in a little bit and, and we can talk, I, I, we can I talk can, gator trout or we can talk normal whatever you want to but it's, it's it's fine we can certainly talk gator trout so um you know when i'm chasing big trout just like any other fish um that lives in current you know minus pelagic species i'm going to take that out you know there are species that like to suspend and live in current but for the most part they're not going to sit out in fast running water they're inher- in my opinion, fish are inherently lazy. You know, they're going to sit in slower water, probably pretty close to moving current. Um, you know, in my experience, trout really don't like a whole lot of still water. There are a couple of places that I fish where that might be a little bit of an exception to the rule, but there's also a food source availability in those situations where they kind of maybe pull them out of that that environment and let them live in a less heavy current area. Um, but you know, in an area where the trout can sit next to current, um, and let the food source come to them, you know, most bait fish cannot sustain long periods of swimming against the current. If you watch mullet, you know, smaller mullet, or if you watch other bait fish, glass minnows or menhaden, they're almost always going with the current. At least in our environment, you know, we have an average of a six-foot tide. Um, I present my lures most of the time in that same manner, you know, with the current, allowing them to come by areas, whether it's an eddy, um, you know, on the backside of a point, whether it's an oyster bar, whether it's pilings, um, whether it's boulders that the fish can get behind as the current runs across the top of them. It's almost like trout fishing for river, even though they have no relation a lot of the behavior to me tends to be tends to be pretty similar in the Charleston and Low Country area, where these fish are using current to their advantage to bring food to them, and sitting outside of the current or hugging the, I mean, in some cases hugging the bottom or hugging the edges uh, where the current is not as strong. I think that's a great point. That's like often overlooked. It's not just the current is taking the bait fish to the areas that, you know, the bait fish is just getting swept in the current. The bait fish want to go in these little eddies and stuff as well to get a break. And, uh, you know, a lot of people just think they end up there just based on the current, but you know, they want to be there just as bad, just hoping a big trout's not there waiting for them. When they and a there. lot of times it is. So yeah. a lot of times those are the, the places, um, that are, and, uh, one of the other areas I really like for trout is if I can find what's called a, I call it a washing machine where I have current running into structure, um, whether, you know, water flows straight unless acted upon by a force. So if it hits a bend um, or you have current running over rocks, um, it creates kind of a washing machine effect where the water tumbles around um, down there and the smaller fish get disoriented. Um, You know, you you don't know for those of you that bass fish, fishing the windy side of the lake. Um, where the bait gets pushed on the windy side of the lake, gets churned up and kind of disoriented. And, you know, you would think that the fish wouldn't sit out in that. That's one of the few times or few environments I find, though, that 
I catch trout maybe in heavier current. Um, but I also also believe that underneath some of the, I think they're sitting up underneath some of that churn and able to spot the disoriented fish or disoriented shrimp um, and come up and grab them without spinning, you know, sending, spending extended periods of time in heavy flow water. But that's another area that I really like to work hard um, where the, I have had good experience catching big trout. Now, when you when you present to those areas, I'll talk a little bit about presentation. So, say if I'm you know fishing a pylon, am I? Are you like casting? I mean, like letting the bait flow? And this might sound dumb. I don't know if it's a dumb question. I don't know if no, I told I'm you. No, sure it's not. But but so if I I mean if I'm fishing it, am I fishing it on say the north side where it's flowing down and letting it flow into that pylon and around naturally? Is that yeah? Kind of how that you is that it? is almost always how I present. Okay, um, gotcha. That's that's how the bait's going to be coming. And so if you have pylon sitting like this, your cast current's running this way, you're going to cast up here. Fish is going to be sitting here behind the piling. And as the bait comes by the piling, comes into field of view, fish comes out, grabs it, and it's not working very hard sitting behind that piling where if it sat just outside of it, it has to sit and struggle to stay in place. Gotcha. gotcha. It's providing that it's providing that current break. Um, I will tell you that most of my trout, big trout, and less caught on top water, um, most of my bigger trout tend to come out of a little bit deeper water. Um, I'd say six to fifteen feet, um, with a lot of them coming from eight to fifteen. Okay, gotcha. And what does what does the water temperature look like for those bigger ones? Have you noticed? Um. Below 80, uh, particularly, you know, that 60s to high 70 mark seems to be seems to be kind of the magic number for for higher activity levels Um, in the spring, I think, is always our best chance at getting big trout. You know, they're getting ready to have that first spawn. I don't know. For those of you that have had children, my wife is pregnant uh, with our first child and, you know, being pregnant, they've got a. And in her case, she's got another human being growing inside her, and she's hungry. You know, these trout are filling up with eggs. You know, their 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 bodies are working hard to develop to, to make make that next generation of fish, and they're a lot hungrier, so they tend to be a little more aggressive. And in the turn in the fall, um, you know, the fish have a biological clock that kind of starts ticking as fall approaches with the waning daylight hours, and they know, you know, nature is telling them, hey, you need to eat. You need to eat now. Food's leaving. It's not going to be plentiful here in a couple of months, and you need to take advantage of that. And those two periods to me tend to be my best times to catch them when nature has these fish turned on and needing to feed, whether it be to create life or whether it needs to be preserving life. That's awesome. And so when you have a big trout sitting behind some structure, the currents run into it, it's in some, you know, deeper water for, you know, typical inshore fishing when people think, you know, inshore. Um, what, what, what are your favorite things to present that fish? Um, so a lot of, a lot of times what I'm doing, if I'm fishing by myself or fishing, you know, not running a charter, I'm going to be throwing Z-Man plastics. Uh, the Minnow Z is always my, you know, one of my favorite go-tos. It's a simple three inch paddle tail. Um, but the great thing about it, I'll pair it with the Trout Eye 316s, 
sometimes an eighth, sometimes a quarter, very, very, very seldom a quarter. I like to stay as light as possible. Um, but you know, the current flow dictates it, you know, the harder, the the faster the current's flowing to get that bait down where I need it to be, I'm going to have to use heavier weight, but I'll always like to try to get away with as light as possible. I'm very often I'll even throw one fifth, one sixth of an ounce, or sometimes even an eighth if I can get away with it. Um, but I'm throwing these lighter baits, that Z-Man plastic, the Elastec that they use to make that plastic has a buoyant property to it that no other plastic that I know of has. When I say they're buoyant, I'm talking they float. Um, what that does too on a descent of a bait, almost every other plastic that I've ever seen, when it lays on the bottom, it lays, it literally just lays on the bottom. With the Z-Man plastics and their paddle tails, their streaks, some of the other baits, they're buoyant. So you'll have your jig head, that trout eye jig head sitting down here, you know, on the bottom, sitting like this. Sorry, I just hit the mic. Um, but that paddle tail, the part that is not attached to the, to the hook, is sitting up in the current and it's fluttering. That current's causing it to flutter. And I cannot tell you how many fish I've had pick a bait up like that, whether it's a redfish or a trout. Um, and I really think that makes a big difference. You know, when a fish sits upside down like that or head down like that, and I think of it as a feeding position, they're vulnerable. They're not paying attention to their environment around them. And having seen enough fish eat, they really like things swimming away from them rather than at them. If they can come up from behind something, especially something that doesn't look like it knows that, that knows that a predator is behind it, where they feel like they have an easier opportunity to grab it, I think it's going to make you more successful. And that, that Z-Man really has that unique property to allow it to sit in that position. As well as when you pair it with other jig heads, I can kind of control my fall rate and leave it in that zone a little bit faster. Let's say the fish are holding, if they're holding on pilings, let's say they're holding eight feet down and 12 feet of water. You know, they're not sitting on the bottom, they're not sitting up high. As that bait falls and flutters between whether I'm working it on a slow, steady retrieve, but more so when I'm jigging it, as it falls, because it's more buoyant, it's going to stay inside of that zone longer than another plastic will, which will just sink right to the bottom. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, dude, I, I love the, that's what I caught that trout on the other night. And so I, I love Z-Man stuff. And um, so let me ask you, because I'm, I'm really curious, because I, like I said, we fished for several hours. And so, uh, you know, being a newbie in the saltwater world, I'm I'm trying to learn as much as I can as well. Hence the only reason I started this podcast was <laughs> get all the secrets. Pretty, pretty good way to get information. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm mining all the secrets. That's my uh, that's my objective. Um, so, dude, when you when you're retreat and you talked a little bit about retrieve, you talked about slow retrieve, and and man, the other night I used a couple different. I mean, I, dude, I put every retrieve I ever knew uh, to it fast, slow, let it sink, let it sit. Um, and and I guess where I had the most success was when I just kind of threw it out there and almost forgot about it. Like it was after you know it's getting beat up for a couple hours, I just kind of chucked it out into the current and just let it like kind of let it sit. And then I felt like a like a just a quick little jab at it. And then I just sat for a second, almost thought it was like you know a flounder or something. Then I then I hooked it. So can you talk a little bit you know more about some of those strategies? Because I think a lot of times we got the good you know we got the right weight, we got the right bait, but maybe just the the urgency of, of moving ourselves or whatever, we feel like we're given more action. Can you talk a little bit about that and what your strategy is? Um, well, finding a cadence or finding a reaction bite, it's part of what I talked about before about slowing down, not just slowing down your presentation, but slowing down to work a particular area. 
Um, it sounded like you were fishing an area where you knew there were fish. You knew that there was a chance at catching big fish or historically that area had held better fish. So you guys weren't just out there you know, beating the water up for no reason. You guys, if, if I'm not mistaken, have you caught big fish there before? Oh, well, I have not, but somebody in my friend circle pretty much told me <laughs> when, where, and what time. So okay, so you had some good <laughs> intel that told you that this is a good place to yeah. do it. Um, and that being the case, you know, when I'm in an area, like I talked about, that hold, I believe holds bigger trout, um, for whatever list of reasons I've given and whatever list of areas that it, they could end up being. And I, I'm, I'm sorry to kind of be general here, but there's so many potential answers to this, to that kind of question. Sure. Um, but it's, it's about finding what they're going to react to. And it's not just about working a pattern. It's about color. I'm a big believer in matching the hatch. Um, if the water is clear enough, I am going to throw natural colors almost all the time. If the water is not clear enough, I have to be seen to be eaten. So, you know, throwing chartreuse, throwing white, throwing brighter colors or throwing darker profile colors, depending on my water clarity and light conditions. Um, but when I am working in an area in particular that holds fish, I'm going to maybe throw this, throw the same lure through that area several times, and I'm going to try to vary it up. I'm not going to work the same cadence. I might do short hops. Um, I might do longer raises and falls. I might do a steady retrieve, and then I might do a steady retrieve with a couple of hops and falls in between. Um, if I have heavier current, I may let the current sweep it and just kind of try to keep up with the slack and just keep it up just enough to keep it up off the bottom. You know, it's kind of a steady retrieve, but not really the same. You're letting the current do a lot of the work for you. You're just trying to keep it from snagging off the bottom. And that sounds kind of like what you just did there yeah. was allow it to sweep through and just kind of keep up with it. Um, and that's, you know, and then that, that comes into play too, where, okay, what weight works for that? You know, if I throw a quarter, is it going to sink too fast? If I throw an eight, is it not going to sink fast enough? Am I going to throw a 316th or whatever the weight combination is? And that's why I believe it's important to really work areas because if the fish are there, you have to get them, you have to give them a reason to eat it. You know, it's the only sport in the world. You ask a live animal to make a choice to participate in for you to be successful. And that's what makes that artificial bite so rewarding is not only am I taking something that's not natural, I'm presenting it in a way that makes it stand out that makes it look natural, but doesn't stand out so much that it turns the fish off. And it is choosing to eat my presentation. And to me, that is a very rewarding feeling um, to get that kind of bite and to know that that fish choose or chose um, to take that presentation. Now, in heavier current, um, I, I really keep going back to that, that minnow Z. It kind of tends to be my favorite search bait. Some of my biggest fish have come on it. Um, I do like hard suspending baits a lot or slow sinking baits a lot. However, my current really dictates my, or really affects my ability to throw them. Um, you know, most companies that make those style of baits are from Florida and I can't seem to find one that sinks at the rate that I need it to a lot of times to fish the desired depths. You know, a lot of them are designed to fish in one to three feet of water or one to five feet of water. Uh, Miradine does make a heavy sink, but for us down here, you know, Georgia, South Carolina, and, you know, somewhat on some of your bigger tides up in North Carolina 
and Northeast Florida. Um, you know, you get those heavy flows and presenting that style bait, it, it just gets swept away before it ever makes, you can never work it, um, before the, before it's back to you at the boat or the bank or wherever you are. Um, but that is one of my favorite presentations and we catch a, I catch a lot of good fish on it. Um, whether it's, you know, grass flats in Florida or the slower tide days. Um, and, you know, you're talking about, you were told, you told me that the guy that gave you the spot out of the jetty said that this was the time and place. And I'm not going to ask you for the details or wherever, but, um, I always tell people, I said, trout to me are like the Goldilocks of fish. They don't like the water moving too fast. They don't like it moving too slow. They don't like the water, you know, too clear. They don't like it too bright. You know, they, it, they don't, they just, they don't like it too hot. They don't like it too cold. They die when it gets too cold. They're lethargic when it's too hot. Um, they're, they're, they're a finicky fish and there's something that, something about getting that bigger, smarter fish to eat that really drives me. The topwater bite is probably the easiest way to catch bigger trout. If, if you gave me one thing to say, what's artificial wise, what's the easiest that's it. You know, big trout love top water, smaller trout love top water. It's the most exciting bite because it's a visual bite. You get to see the fish blow up on it. Um, you know, I, I haven't really talked about bait much and I don't want to get into the bait topic too much, but live bait always works. Um, you know, everything eats shrimp, um, mullet, you know, the right size menhaden. Um, and you know, if you're really chasing bigger trout, using in my area, uh, it's going to be mullet or menhaden and it's going to be larger, a little bit larger than you might present to, you know, say that 15, 16, 17 inch class. And you're going to have to be a little more patient too with them and let them eat it. Yeah. It's kind of like a flounder bite in that regard. You know, if you, if you set the hook right away when they get the bite, cause a lot of times that trout, they use those front fangs to wound, you know, they'll, they'll grab it or hold it with those. And, uh, if you set that hook right away, you're going to lose them but you've got to be a little more patient on that big trout bite and let them eat the bait. Um, and I encourage you to use circle hooks, please use circle hooks. Do not use J hooks or treble hooks when you're fishing for big, for these big trout, you know, we want to let these ones go. We want to let them live. They're fragile enough as it is. And using something like that, that's easier to swallow or tear them up. I just, I'm not a big fan of. I think that's a great point, especially with the bigger trout. You know, when they eat a bait, they inhale almost sometimes, and you're going to gut hook them. Um, I've seen some underwater footage of a trout taking a bait, and it just opens its mouth, and that thing's inside it. It's like a bass. Um, yeah. It just sucks bass. it in. Um, but I, I want to ask some questions about how you um, are using your search baits. Um, once you, you know, find trout in the area, and you're throwing your search bait, and you're working an area um, – once you find the trout, um, how do you change up your tactics? Like once your search bait finds bait, do you keep throwing it to find out how they are on the water column or do you switch over once you know? Well, I'm certainly going to use a, a, a depth finder. Um, if I'm fishing deeper water, um, I like using side scan. It really allows me to go outside of an area without going on top of my fish and for those of you who don't have side scan or have used side scan, but haven't really figured out how to look at it. Um, there's a lot of great videos online, whether it's Simrad or Hummingbird or Lawrence or whoever, whatever company you use that offers that Garmin. Um, you know, I, I really can't without being able to show it up on the screen, it would be really difficult for me to show, Hey, this is what a fish looks like on this unit. 
because it's going to look different on this unit or it's even going to look different on the, the different color palette options. Um, but if you can go on, you know, YouTube it, Google it, um, side scan is a wonderful tool for locating fish along structure without having to run across the top of them. Um, you know, trolling motors are quiet, but they're not, they're not silent. You're going to, if you're running over top of fish, you're going to disturb them. They're going to move out. They're going to move left or right, or they may even stop them from willing, being willing to eat. I do not like running over the areas I'm going to fish. I like staying outside of them um, and throwing up to them and working them, you know, through that area. Obviously, sometimes you can't help it, but if I if I have a choice, staying outside. But working those search baits, um, it's not all about throwing the same bait. Even if I get a few bites on a bait in an area, you know, unless it's a big fish bite. If it's a big fish bite, I'm going to try to repeat whatever I just did whether it's the slow retrieve, whether it's the light twitching, whether it's the pause. It, but if I'm not getting the big fish bite and I think they're in the area, I'm going to probably change lures, change colors. Um, like for me in the, in the spring, I'm a big fan of Pearl Blue Glimmer uh, from the Z-Man line, um, opening night, uh, one of the main food sources during that time of year is going to be uh, glass minnows. Um, and in some areas it's shrimp, but it, it, for the most part, um, from what I've seen during the winter months, trout are feeding on glass minnows. Um, so I'm going to try to mimic that. Um, on high pressure days, high bright sunshine days, you know, I'll even dial my bait size back even further and my line size and weight even further. Uh, if the current will allow for it and throw things like the Z-Man Slim Swim, um, put it on a one-sixth ounce jig head or a one-fifth, one one-eighth, whatever I can, the lightest I can get away with is, um, or the, the, the small streaks, the 3.75s, something that has a much smaller profile to it and kind of fits that glass minnow size. Uh, and it, that's what the fish are feeding on. A little bit later in the spring, um, I might step up my bait size a little bit as the first round of uh, menhaden, bunker, pogies, whatever you want to call them, uh, move into our area. And that's one of the first major kind of high protein, high fat foods that the fish have available to them. So I will go with that. Um, and if it's been a warm winter, shrimp is going to be always a go-to. You know, a lot of big trout eat fish, but I'm going to tell you what, put a shrimp off their nose and they're going to crush it. <laughs> Um, we had a comment a little earlier. Um, someone said to ask you about uh, how you feel about Ned rigs. Um, I don't know if that was based on some history with them or if they knew something. That, was that Dave? It was. <laughs> <laughs> no, it looked like it was uh, someone named Marge. <laughs> um, I'm a big, big fan of the TRD. Okay. I love the TRD. I, the I have bought plenty of big fish one? on it. I don't really understand sometimes why because – you ask me moving through the water, it does not look right. But I, I've caught everything. I've caught, I've caught 40 plus inch redfish on it. I mean, it <laughs> blows my mind. Elephants eat peanuts. That is something that I swear by. <laughs> Elephants eat peanuts. Uh, last year, I took out my uh, St. Croix rep, Randy, um, to the jetties, and he caught on a, uh, the two and a half inch opening night color sl slim swim from Z Man um, on a uh, TT Ned rig head. Um, 
he caught a beautiful 27 inch fish uh, right there into January beginning. I think it was into January beginning of February. Um, but glass minnow presentation, glass minnow size, um, that slow hopping. Um, I don't, I don't get it. I really, that one I don't get. It's a stick. <laughs> I, I don't know what sticks they're eating, but uh, apparently they found something that uh, the fish think is delicious. And flounder eat it. Everything seems to eat it. Bass, you name it. I, I haven't come across a fish that won't hit it. I was going to say, I've had similar experiences with it. I've uh, caught bowfin on it, um, flounder. Um, I don't know what it is. I've tried the big ones, the little ones, different size jig heads. You, you, most of the time I just throw it out and dead stick it and just let it float and something picks it up and I reel it in. I don't I, know. I, I, don't know. I, I haven't had as much luck dead sticking. Um, I will tell you though, uh, for plastics, particularly when I'm using Z-Man, um, Procure, I'm a huge proponent of that product. I have, this is one I don't have any affiliation with, but I'm a true believer. Um, Procure is a gel based. Some, they have some oil based and other stuff, but I use their gel based, uh, scent systems, um, you apply it to the bait. Z-Man uses some of it already in their scented baits so that it soaks in the oil, soaks it into the bait and absorbs. But if it smells right and it tastes right, so when you get that fish to hit it, if it if it tastes to me, if it tastes like what they expect it to taste like, they're more likely to hang on to it rather than spit it out. Um, I have seen redfish literally turn around on a bad cast in the grass and dig through the grass where my bait was sitting. <laughs> And yeah, looking for where that scent is, or I've had flounder that hold on to it all the way to the boat, won't let go of it until I lift them out, until they lift it out of the water. And they never had a hook in their mouth. Fought me even. Like, won't let go. And I'm a big believer in that it needs to not only, trout are traditionally a visual predator. You know, they're not something that you're going to catch a lot on on cat, cut bait. Flounder are a, you know, a sight predator. I say scent predator for trout. I don't think I didn't mean to if I did, but they're a sight predator. They need to see it. You know, it needs to be seen. It needs to be something that they can they can go after. But it also needs to smell, and it also needs to taste right. You know, if it tastes like sunscreen, that's not a good thing to have on your bait. That's not a good thing to have on your line. You know, or if it tastes like tobacco or anything else you could have on your hands um, that's not supposed to be there. But by putting that Procure on there, getting that that correct scent, flavor, however you want to put it, on the bait, to me, that is a big difference in my success rate as well. It's not only methodically working areas, but making sure that when I get that opportunity for that bite, I'm maximizing the time that the fish is willing to hold on to that bait because it tastes right, because it smells right. Yeah, man, I agree, dude. I, I don't go, I, the other night when I caught that fish, I just soaked that bait in procure. Like, it was pretty ridiculous. Probably, probably half of that little bottle. <laughs> I, I wow. <laughs> I, well, dude, that's how frustrated I was. I'm like, I'm just yeah. filling every little hole and crevice. I'm just pouring it on there. I and, have and nailed half a it. bottle. I hope you buy it by now. the jug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, I'm telling you, no one, no one prepped you for this show tonight. Like, I'm a terrible saltwater fisherman, <laughs> so uh, I'll do whatever it takes just to beat my father-in-law and catch one. So that's what happened. Uh, it's, it's all good, man. I mean, like, like my boat will look like a plastic factory threw up in it by the end of the day if I can't. <laughs> find the right pattern I have like if i am not theory. finding what i want or not getting the bite that i want there will be plastic strewn all across the boat yeah well dude so let's keep this in mind so you're talking about different baits and different rigs that you use when we first started the show uh you're talking about 
you carry almost nine to 13 rods at a time. Let's dive into that a little bit and talk about how you pair those together and, and what you're looking for in a rod and sensitivity and, and all those types of things for catching trout in particular. Okay. So every, you know, if I'm going to throw, you talked about asking me like how I feel about the Ned rig and I told you, I, you know, I love the Ned rig. Well, I'm not going to throw a Ned rig with a eight foot heavy rod. I'm not going to throw it with a six foot medium rod. You know, I need to have something that has a good, a good whip to it, you know, so that I can get that light weight out there. I'm going to use a little bit lighter line, probably something in a 2000 series to 1000 series reel, 15 or 10 pound braid, um, 10 pound fluorocarbon. I am in, I'm a, look, even in dirty water, I'm putting out a big piece of fluorocarbon. It does not matter to me. I'm, I'm a big believer in the stretch. I'm a big believer in not letting them see it. Even in dirty water, you can't tell me that you don't need some kind of shock absorber, you know, whether it's from a strike or whether it's from the fish head shaking or jumping, you know, it needs something there that has to give. Braid is an awesome tool. It allows us to fish smaller diameter. It allows us to make longer casts. It allows us to feel more, but it doesn't stretch. And somewhere in that system, you've got to have a little bit of give. Um, so I like fluorocarbon. The other reason I use longer leaders is I can retie it four or five, six times without having to do a new connection knot. And when you um, say longer leader, how long are you talking? I'm probably starting with at least four feet. Oh, okay, cool. Um, not uncommon for me in clearer water to use six. Yeah, that's awesome. You got me? I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of breaking up on you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, Skype, dude. That's our, that's our arch nemesis here. So anyway, yeah, man, no so, sorry to interrupt to make you there, sure. dude. Yeah, keep on that same thought there. And sorry to interrupt. I just was curious as to what length you're using there. Um, and then, you know, so for something like a Ned rig, like I said, I'm going to use probably, I can get away with a medium light action rod. Um, if I'm going to use a medium light, though, you're going to have to step it up to about seven and a half feet. Um, particularly if I'm in an area where I'm looking for maybe bigger, you know, if I know bigger reds are in the air or something and I need that backbone, that seven and a half with a taper on it, uh, is really going to give me a little bit more action at the tip. It's going to be a little bit thinner than the seven foot or even the six foot six. Um, but then when I get down to the butt of the rod, you know, down to the backbone of the rod, I'm going to have a little bit more material there. I'm going to use a little bit thicker. Uh, it's going to be a little bit thicker, so it's going to have a little more power to it to get through the fish. But I'm probably going to throw a seven-foot light, um, especially in the winter. I'm going to slow it down, and I'm going to use lighter line. Uh, that seven-foot light action, um, I actually use uh, – I love it. I started using it last year. I use a, uh, the Legend Elite Panfish seven-foot from St. Croix. Um, and I'm a big fan of extra fast tips, too. Now, that quick recovery, that quick snap. Um, you know, that real quick light jigging, just kind of pop, 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 pop. Um, that is one of the motions to me that tends to get the best reaction bite rather than having that, that four to six inch up and down. I'm talking like one to three inches where the bait's just kind of almost fluttering, uh, on the jig. And then I might have a quick snap at the end, um, and lift it up. And a lot of time it's either right on the first snap or it's on the drop where you get that bite uh, as the bait flutters back down. Um, 
you know, get stepping up. I like, I, I'm a big fan of seven and a half foot rods kind of across the board, whether it's throwing uh, top water, I get a longer cast out of a seven and a half foot rod. Um, I have that better taper that I talked about. Uh, so I have the backbone to it and I have the sensitivity. And one of the things, if you're going to really get serious in chasing big trout is you're going to have to make an investment in a rod. You need to make sure that you have a higher quality, uh, higher, higher grade graphite rod. I tend to use, you know, something St. Croix grades theirs from SC1 to SC5 blanks. Um, the higher the, the higher the number, the more, the higher the module uh, in the graphite and the more sensitive the rod is, the more fibers it has in it. Um, you know, you're going to talk and getting into your guides. You're talking about using, uh, you know, titanium guides, carbon fiber, lighter guides, something that's going to translate that uh, feel from the line into the handle. I like having um, my finger, whether it's above the uh, cork or if in some of the legend series uh, from St. Croix, they have a little bit of blank exposed in the real seat that I can keep my finger on and keep my finger on that rod tip or rod blank at all times. And I can really don't lose anything coming through the, you know, when you, your hands on the cork, you're going to lose some. I don't tell you put your hand above the cork. You have to have your hand balanced on the rod. Um, but you need to make sure that you can, feel everything and on those colder days or cooler days when the bite's a little bit softer having your finger on the blank itself to me makes a difference in picking up the bite in time to set the hook before the fish spits that bait back out um other than that um uh, you know top water i'm throwing a seven and a half foot medium uh suspending twitch baits or slow sinking twitch baits I like to throw a seven to seven and a half foot uh, medium moderate action. Moderate has a, a, a more parabolic bend to it. Uh, the rod, the taper in the rod bends a little bit further back, so it has a little bit more give. On a fast action rod, when you set the hook, a lot of times um, when you're using treble hooks or stuff like that, you can almost rip the hooks out of the fish. Um, with that moderate action, it has a little more give. And I feel like too, it slows me down. Less of my movement translates from my arms and hands to the rod it's, or through the rod and back to the bait. It kind of absorbs some of it and forces me to slow down as well as allow for that absorption and the hook set. Uh, kind of for you bass fishermen, like throwing a crankbait rod, you know, you have that big, huge bend in the rod when you set the hook. Otherwise, if you use a fast action, you'll snatch those hooks right out of the bass's mouth. Um, hang on. And such good information. Yeah, I'm <laughs> filling out my notebook for my day off tomorrow. <laughs> um, no, it's it's it, you know not and not everything I'm telling you is the gospel, but this is what works for me. You yeah. know, and this is what works in my area. Um, and I can certainly tell you that you know my longest trout is not in the state. My longest trout I caught tailing like a redfish in Florida. Literally thought it was a redfish tail up in the air, pitched a jerk bait to it. I about peed myself when it <laughs> head shook and came out the water. Um, and you know, you know, we talked about trout being, once they get a little bigger, uh, in the winter, um, you know, not being a schoolie fish as much anymore. There are situations where they congregate. I'm not going to dive too much into this because this is, this is something that I'm going to hold a little tight, but I will tell you that they have pre-spawn areas. Okay. 
Um, and a lot of my trout, I, I have a tendency to pull big trout out of the same areas um, in the spring while they're getting ready to spawn or get right before they get ready to do their first spawn. Um, so finding those areas can be really crucial, especially if you catch a trout in an area in the spring, take good note of it. Um, there's a good chance it's not alone. That's one of the few times I feel like they really hang out. Um, I've run into other situations. Um, you say you were from Jacksonville? Uh, no, so we're in the, in Wilmington, North Carolina area. Oh, the uh, the other Jacksonville. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. We're, we're up North. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. Jacksonville, North Carolina. Is yeah, up there yeah, as well. yeah. No, no, no. Um, when you said Carolina beach, were you, were you fishing Carolina beach or were you fishing Fort Fisher or uh, closer to Carolina beach, like snow's cut area. Um, I've got some beautiful trout out of that Fort Fisher area before too. Yeah. I, um, I do a lot of fishing. That's a very popular kayak spot. Um, very shallow, not too many boats running through there. Um, um popular area. Um, I haven't had too much luck there with trout. Um, not the best trout fishermen in general. Um, I find, like you said, the Goldilocks fish, you know, I'm picking my days where I can go and they're usually not the days that I think the trout are working with me and my level of knowledge, you know, I'm not able to hone in on them. So I'm not always able to hone in on them either, brother. I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of searching. And just when you think you might've figured it out, they're gone or on the day you don't think they're going to bite, you know? Boom. Or we'll have a window where we'll catch two or three within 30 minutes. Like I'm talking, we've we've kind of started looking at stuff and I'm going to, again, this is one I'm going to hold a little more tight here, but some of the information has shown that we find these fish to bite within a very short window and you might get a few of them within a short window when that feeding period happens. And you could very potentially be running or moving or doing something else and completely miss that window. Um, so do your research, um, but also keep your notes, you know, make when you catch big fish, not just put it in the memory bank, take the time to, to log it. You know, did I catch this fish? What time, what time of day, what tide, water temperature, water clarity, what bait did I catch it on? What depth did I catch it in? What was the wind? What was the direction? All of those things. Um, and you know, I do that for my guiding. I do that for my red fishing. I do that for my fishing in general. But it takes time, and it, it is a tedious process, and you won't see results from it. But I cannot tell you what you will gain from that over the years if you keep up with it and keep your logs and keep your notes and you start to see some of these patterns develop that you may have missed had you not put that work in. Yeah, man, such dude, such a great show, dude. We're, we're right up here at an hour. Um, and dude, I think, I think what you just said was some solid closing statements of like, Hey, put in the work, put in the time, keep the data, um, you know, get out there on the water. You know, everybody tells us like every single guest on the show is like time on the water, time on the water, uh, and just get out there and hone your craft. So, man, unless you, Justin, have some other, you know, thoughts that you'd like to leave with us, I mean, I'd love for you to take a couple minutes and, you know, if you have some some encouragements for the people viewing or listening to the show, um, definitely like to, to give you some time to do that. And then, but before we do, and I'll ask you this question and then you can uh, share some thoughts. Somebody, I just want to make sure we hit some questions on the chat. Um, Greg, hang, on, hang on a second, Billy. Go ahead, go ahead. 
we're skyping we're, we're having some skype issues i, I lost you oh are you there I yeah can... you're clear now i missed that like last 15 seconds oh perfect man now, i said i was just going to ask you a question here and then kind of give you a couple minutes there to to share any last you know last thoughts if you had them uh, greg is wanting to know what size flora do you use like size fluorocarbon um, depending on the, the presentation and the bait on my lightest stuff, I'll step down to maybe eight. That's probably as light as I'll ever throw. And I use cigar. Um, but I'm not as picky maybe as some people on that. I use the main line in Bizex, Um, and I have caught all of my fish, almost all of my bigger trout on that in Bizex main line. Um, and then as my weight comes up, um, or, you know, in clearer water, I'm going to use lighter. I'll use 10 in clearer, whereas in dirtier water, I might use 15. And then top water, I'll probably put 20 on um, because of the potential for the redfish. Um, but anywhere from 8 to 20 pound in Vizex fluorocarbon. You can use other brands of fluorocarbon, um, but that nice soft, you want something nice, soft, supple. Um, something that's going to allow the bait to fall a little bit more naturally, not be quite as rigid as monofilament or um, some of the cheaper fluorocarbons that are out there. Okay, awesome, man. Well, dude, and before we before we get ready to wrap this up, man, tell me a little bit about the Redfin Charters relationship and how do we get our viewers if they're in that area or if they're you know live in that area they want to come fish with you. How do they get in touch with you guys? Well, you can uh, hit us up uh, on www.inshorefishingcharters.com. It's Redfin Charters. We're a charter company out of Charleston, South Carolina. We do uh, everything from inshore fishing charters, fly fishing charters, tailing redfish, shallow water fish. We do near shore for things like cobia, spadefish, king mackerel. Um, and some of we're about to about 30 miles um and do things like snapper and, and triggers and stuff like that as well um weather dependent of course with anything um but we we have uh, a very versatile group of guides there are uh we run four blackjacks right now we have two of the 224s and two of the 256s um which are great versatile boats they they they're very very shallow very dry very nice riding um, and then for the flats boats, we use uh, Hell's Bay Waterman, um, incredibly shallow drafting boat. I can get you in places, or, or Pat, who's our main fly guide, can get you in places that uh, no other boat can. I mean, we can get you to the fish before the fish get there. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, we also do things like dolphin tours, sightseeing, you know, shark's teeth. Uh, we'll, we'll do just about anything. We also keep a, a boat at the slip. Our slip is, we keep a, we stay at Bristol Marina, which is downtown Charleston. So we're nice centrally located. Uh, we pair up with a couple of restaurants too. Let's say you want to catch something to eat for dinner or lunch. You know, we could clean the fish for you and, and set you up with a reservation at one of the restaurants on the water to get your, your catch or uh, clean or cooked for you. Um, they offer a bunch of different ways, or even in some cases, if you want, if you didn't bring a car, you know, and you, you Uber or took a taxi or whatever, we can drop you off at the waterfront at these restaurants and let you walk up the dock with your catch and have it cooked right there. I mean, within minutes of it being cleaned. Um, and we're, we're a rather large company. We're on pace to do about 2,000 charters this year. Uh, and we're continuing to grow and continuing to involve and offer more things. And, I, you know, we're excited to be a part of it. But, you know, I kind of talked about, I'm going to taper here, talk about the closing stuff as well, um, you know, as guides, 
one, it's our, you know, we enjoy sharing our, our craft with people and sharing that passion and love, but it's also our responsibility to promote conservation and pr promote saving the resources that we have. Um, and one of the big things I want to tell people is, you know, take, don't take more than you need. Try to conserve, try to, try to save these fish, save it for the next generation. Teach the next generation how to not only handle fish properly, but release them, let them swim away, take a picture, have the memory, and let the next person have that memory as well. You know, save these big fish, save the, let them swim away, let them make, make babies, and let somebody else get to enjoy that fish for the next time. Um, other than that, you know, I, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show, um, or let me come on the show. Excuse me, the other way around. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, if anybody's looking for some of the products I talked about today, um, you know, check out Eye Strike Fishing. Uh, phenomenal products, high quality stuff. Um, it's almost exclusively what I use in the, in the jig head lineup. It's, it's great stuff. Not only do I consider Dave and Ralph good friends, but at the same time, they make phenomenal stuff. Z-Man Plastics. Um, most tackle shops carry both of these products now in the saltwater environment, but you can find them online, order online as well. And then uh, St. Croix Rods, you really, I mean, their slogan, it's its the truth. Best rods on earth. Hey, you're going to catch more fish with them. You're going to feel more fish. You're going to land more fish. With that combination right there, you're going to be a much more successful fisherman. Yeah. Well, man, Justin, thank you so much for, um, you know, for being on the show and, and, um, you know, hanging out with us and, and really in my inexperience, Zach is way more experienced at, at fishing. Uh, first time on our podcast. Thank you, Zach, for jumping on and, and <laughs> saving the day and hopefully asking some way better questions than I did. Um, but dude, we'll have to have you back on for sure. I know you're telling us you're crushing the red drum, um, earlier in, you know, earlier today and, and thank you. You know, I know you, you got right off the boat, you got right in the car and, and drove right to the spot where you're shooting the show there at Dave's house. And we appreciate Dave and those guys at I strike, um, you know, once again, and get on, get on, I strike.com save 40% use the Eastern current 10. Uh, so that's just Eastern current one zero, uh, to save an additional 10%. So really appreciate you being on the show, man. And, uh, we'll definitely have you back on again for sure. Thank uh, thanks you. for having me. And I look forward to coming back on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Man, Zach, what a show, brother. Yeah, what a show. I think Justin nailed it when he said, keep the bait in the water. Keep the and, bait in the water. You know, like the Z-Man helps you do that because it's, you know, tougher. You're not retying as much. And I think just keeping your bait in the water and, you know, trying different things and really searching for the fish and, like, you know, realize that as a fish matures, its behavior changes and slow down, take the time and figure it out and learn throughout your career as a fisherman, like really hone in on the notes you take and the friends around you that are doing the same thing and be part of your community to learn more. Yeah. I think it's awesome. And watch every, every episode of Eastern current to learn the most. Well, Zach, dude, really appreciate you being on high five, sit next to each other. Super awkward <laughs> that we're on two screens, but really appreciate you coming on and helping save the day. I'm going to wrap this thing up. Thank you guys so much for watching. This is episode 18 of Eastern Current with Justin. Um, and, and, man, just go check out Redfin Charters. Go to their – got a nice Instagram account. So Redfin underscore Charters. Go check those guys out, see what they're doing. The whole experience, really, I mean, from catching it to cooking it, like super, super cool thing they got going on down there in Charleston. So if you're vacationing in that area or you live there, go check those guys out. 
support their business. Um, they just shared a lot of information. Um, and so we really appreciate those guys. So go check them out. Anyway, guys, that's episode 18. I'm Billy Thorpe. This is our Zach Kirby wherever he went i don't know where that camera <laughs> shot is there he is helping us out tonight and judson's gonna be back he's gonna be feeling better and even if he's not we're gonna drag him back into the show <laughs> next week uh so make sure you send him a message tell him hey you're thinking about you hope you get better and we'll see you guys back here next week tuesday 8 p.m on eastern current